This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Glad to have you here at Podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. Appreciate you guys listening every week. We love the feedback we get. Keep spreading the word about the show. Tell friends about us and where they can find us, and we will truly appreciate you for it. This week's show features the EBR District Attorney, Hiller Moore, a really good guy with a really tough job. Uh, I told him in the beginning of the show, or not long into the beginning of the show, about a recent case that involved a guy leaving his daughter in his car, and the child died in the car. And this will be the first time District Attorney Moore will be able to speak at length about what happened and why he came to the conclusion not to charge this man with murder. For me, I was angry when I saw the story, but I had very little information. And I didn't text or call Hiller at the time just because I I was pretty sure he was bombarded with lots of people's opinions. But when I saw that he didn't charge this guy, It did make me take a step back because I know Hiller well enough to know that there had to have been circumstances that led him to make that decision. And you will hear him spell all of those out in the show, and that's coming up in just a moment. And when we finish with the district attorney, I'm going to tell you about an experience I had this morning that is a reflection of the public that we don't often talk about. And many of us see it, we just don't say anything about it. And I will explain what I mean after our conversation with District Attorney Hiller Moore. And that is next. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, Call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. This is The Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Back with East Baton Rouge District Attorney Hiller Moore. And uh, Hiller and I have known each other a little while. He actually was an attendee at... This year's Smoke em If You Got Them fundraiser. We were glad to have you there, man. It was a fun time. Did you have a good great, time? Great time. <laughs> uh, let's talk first. To, for, you know, everyone knows, or most people around these parts, knows and have great respect for your father. Right. And the man that he was. And, sure. and I was talking to somebody about that just the other day. And how does it feel to come into Baton Rouge as the DA or be the, become the DA and then feel what I'm sure is, a, in a good way, the, the shadow of your father looming over you because nobody who knew your dad didn't like him. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. I uh, always uh, try to look up to him and emulate what he, what he did in a different role than yeah. he had. So it's always a tough, uh, tough road to follow. But yeah. uh, he was such a good man to uh, not only me and our brothers and sisters, but yeah. every real, everybody really. Everyone considered him their father, so uh, it was. I'm, I'm fortunate, and I deal in a system where you don't see 
such fathers or mothers, mm -hmm. and, and uh, we deal with the, the lack of that. And so uh, I was really fortunate. What sent you into law? Um, I wasn't really good at math. <laughs> so I came to LSU to, to really get away from uh, Sergeant Major, who was pretty strict. Yeah. And, uh, so I left New Orleans and came here and uh, didn't do very well. I made a point zero seven my first semester at school. <laughs> and uh, I had a 7 o'clock German class, which didn't work out real well. No, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, so I really I started in forestry because there was a little math and mm -hmm. uh, German really got me. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I had to take a semester off. I got a letter from the dean mm -hmm. and came back and looked around in the course book and found criminal justice and they had basic math, and no language. That was my that was my field. That, that's that was it. <laughs> so I'm here now. And so <laughs> it's interesting. You you got your law degree from Southern, though, I right? I did, yes. So you, LSU undergrad, Southern law degree, and you did what after college and after you got your law degree? Well, uh, well, first I you know, graduated from LSU and became a DA investigator while I was, but right before I graduated, mm -hmm. and eventually went back to school at LSU and did 30 hours toward a master's, and mm -hmm. then I decided to go to law school before writing a thesis. And so following law school, uh, I immediately became a partner with Judge Tony Marabella. Yeah. He had a criminal defense yeah. practice. Yeah. I was there and operated as a criminal defense lawyer for 16 years with uh, Tony and then uh, also on my own and then decided to run for DA. And since you've run and become DA, I mean, going in, I remember Doug Morrow, who at the time and still is a Republican, did TV ads endorsing you. He, he did. Uh, Doug was a, a great mentor for yeah. me. I, I was Doug's inv DA investigator, mm -hmm. uh, so he and I uh, know, have known each other for a long time. I am a Democrat. He was a Republican. Right. He did endorse me. I really uh, honored uh, that endorsement. It yeah. meant a whole lot to me. Yeah. I, I talk to Doug regularly yeah. about different things he calls, and we call each other. I still trust him and value his uh, his advice. He's a good man. I still I get those emails from him. Do you get those? <laughs> he reads everything and he sends emails out to a group. He's a of, he's a very bright uh, man. He's, he's brilliant. He's and so you get Doug's endorsement and you win and you've maintained a level of popularity here, even throughout what has been a trend of quote unquote con controversial times with law enforcement and the public, specifically the inner city. Right. Uh, and how do you think you've been able, or why do you think you've been able to maintain such popularity? Uh, I'm really not sure. I think maybe just being honest and working hard uh, and also having very talented, dedicated people mm -hmm. that work in the office that do the same. Uh, I do uh, read a lot. I do get around a lot and look at different trends around the country and see things that are working, some that are not, trying to be innovative in the office. So always trying to stay ahead of mm -hmm. any potential problems. But, you know, you, you sit on a powder, powder keg every day every here, day. any yeah. other city. Yeah. Something can happen and just changes. Uh, for the, the vast majority of people here are very good, well-intended people. But, Clay, as you know, and I think you've reported, there are uh, very few that would seek to divide our community on Absolute, any issue that there is. Absolutely. And those are the people that you have to worry about, and they get a lot of attention, although they're very small. It's the same with the such a small group of folks that cause all the trouble in Baton Rouge. It's like a and, teacher I had years ago <laughs> who used to say, an empty wagon makes a lot of noise. That's right. So, <laughs> so that's, uh, you know, f for in our business, we focus on just the very few that deal the pain in our city, and uh, that's what our goal is right now. One of the more, I guess, intriguing things about your philosophy, and I mean that in a good way, is the way you view the power of your office and that, you know, the, the whole thing about 
a, you know, a DA will indict a ham sandwich and just that philosophy. But you, you haven't, you haven't practiced it that way in that position that you take every case as an individual case and make a determination. And we were talking off the air a second ago about the case of the young man, I guess about three weeks ago now here in the city who lost his eight, eight month old daughter because he forgot her in the car. And I was just telling Hiller that when I initially saw the story, I got very, very angry because you just think it's one of these other cases of negligence where people just don't care. And this kind of thing happens all the time. And I guess it was maybe not the next day, but the day after when you said you weren't going to charge him. Now, uh, I know you we're we're friends personally, so I know the kind of man you are. And that made me take a step back to say, okay, well, there there's got to be more to this than I'm seeing, because I know how you feel about children. Uh, I know how you feel about people being accountable to their children. And for you to say this, there had to be other circumstances that we, the public, didn't know. Talk about that incident for me a little bit. But I'm glad you are. Uh, I'm glad you came to that conclusion at the end because it's you know it's oftentimes it's so difficult to for me to explain why I do what I do. Sure. Because uh, oftentimes it's not in the news and mm-hmm. people just see that we made this decision. Sure. And uh, I don't get to explain that all the time, mm-hmm. and I don't have the the amount of time to explain it. Well, you got all you need so, right here. So in that case, uh, obviously it was a, a newsworthy case, and then uh, the news did get my explanation why I did it. And, but to go back to the first premise of the power of the office, the DA's office in Baton Rouge is an extremely powerful office That's right. because of where we sit right. and being the DA. And I have seen many uh, DAs sit in the seat that I'm in and uh, always could tell that it's an extremely powerful office. And if you wanted to, you could use that power uh, to really hurt folks and right. do some bad things. Right. Like, you know, I could dismiss any case I want. And sure. I may not get reelected. Sure. Uh, so, but I always felt that you had to hold that power very, very close to yourself and only use it when it's when you need to use right. it. And that's what I that's what my goal is. But with this uh, young family, this young man, uh, he has a daughter, uh, a child, I'm sorry, that's uh, older, I think four years old. Mm-hmm. And he had this baby that's eight months. A very good parent. He's a coach at a Christian school. Uh, good man, good family, good wife. Uh, his wife took care of the eight-month-old every day until the day before the baby's death when she asked him to take the child to daycare, mm-hmm. which is out of his uh, routine. Right. He coaches at a local school and as a teacher as well. And he took the baby to the daycare the first day. Everything's fine because that's his new, his new routine, routine that day. Right. Then the second day, he was taking the baby again for that second time, mm-hmm. put the baby in the back of the car, Instead of going to the daycare, went to his regular routine, just completely forgot at 8.30 in the morning at 11, 11.30, remembered, and it was panicked from that point on, calling the police, calling EMS. Uh, hearing that go down over the radio, I was I just happened to be listening to the radio. You could hear, you could hear everything in the, in the officers' voices. And then when you see the man at the hospital and his family, uh, the emotions were just remember, raw. Uh, and you could tell this is just an accident. Mm-hmm. The law really doesn't have a spot for that, any kind of punishment. I mean, what else can you teach him or others by criminal charges or prosecuting him? Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's got to live with that the rest of his life. He's got to live with it the rest of his life. No. You and I are both fathers. Could not imagine. Nah. No. Uh, and it's interesting because, again, I know you, a lot of people who don't have the, the 
opportunity to get to know you or know you personally, they may not know. But when you explain it this way and you get time to talk about it. So let's let's dig a little deeper. I, I understand where you're coming from, because in a case like this, where it is such a colossal mistake. Putting him in prison isn't the answer. But what do you do to make certain that this kind of thing isn't repeated? Not just by, obviously it would never be repeated by him, but by others. Is there anything you can do? No, I mean, this is, uh, he's been made an example, I guess, just by the news itself. You know, but he was arrested. He was placed in jail. We worked very hard to keep him at the front of the prison so he wouldn't not go in the population. General pop, yeah. I don't think he he didn't deserve that because of this. Uh, So he, he was out. I eventually met with him, his wife, his mom and dad, mm-hmm. pastors, and, you know, that meeting was a you know, really emotional meeting. So I, I know that I made the right decision. But, you know, if, if he were to be charged by me, do you really think any jury in Baton Rouge would ever convict that man of a mistake? No. The answer is no. Yeah. And the, uh, the level that I would have to prove is criminal negligence. It's pretty much here's a stop sign. I know I'm supposed to stop. I see a car coming the other way. He doesn't have a stop sign. I'm going to try to run it anyway. I have to almost show he intentionally wanted to kill his own child. Yeah. That burden is not going to happen. And no, uh, and, and it so, wasn't the case. So what do you do with a what do you do with a parent who has a swimming pool in their backyard and they think the baby's locked up or the or the gate falls down, mm-hmm. baby dies. Uh that happens often. Yes, happens it does, here. unfortunately. Do you do I prosecute that that parent or try to put that parent in jail? You know, no. Uh there are other cases where you are required to watch babies and check in every hour and check to make sure they're doing things. If you don't and you lie about it, that's a different story. Sure. Uh, but these cases, uh, just guns that are left behind, you read them yeah. all the yep. time. Yep. Uh, swimming pool accidents. Yep. Uh, babies left in cars. It's around 400. Kids getting into, in, into the cupboard and drinking something that they shouldn't drink, some yeah. Drano or something, and, and it poisoned them. It almost so dies, it, and sometimes they do die. It happens often, and it's yeah. more so with swimming pools than yeah. it is le- people in left behind a car. Did you, did, did you get any, any pushback or any pressure from, you don't have to name names, sure. but, but from other either electeds or prominent people in the city saying, no, you should have charged this guy? Immediately from the beginning, the vast majority of people said that man should never have been arrested and you should, you did the right thing. Yeah. You should not prosecute yeah. him. A lot of uh, preachers around called saying that they thought that was exactly the right thing, asked me to do that. I, I don't, I don't recall ever having a, maybe one or two folks that said, I think he should be prosecuted. But when you break it down and you sit down with those people, maybe like you at the beginning mm-hmm. and explain to them what's yeah. going on, I say, okay. Uh, well, that's the truth because I was I was on the extreme yeah. opposite end of this because when you hear it, you generally tend to go back to recent news stories where it wasn't an accident. It was gross negligence. It's It wasn't, right. It's and I just pulled one of these examples out. It's like someone driving a van with kids to a daycare and your responsibility is to make certain every kid is out of it. Now, the same is true. This was an accident as opposed to, you know, something else. So I, I want to dig deeper into your philosophy about charging okay. people with crimes. And we're not talking about gun violence or, or things that rise to the level of no brainers. But when you have a gray area incident, kind of take us through your thought process. Uh, most cases are gray. I used to always okay. think their cases were always black and white. Now, okay. having been a defense lawyer for so long, 
seeing both sides. Mm -hmm. Most things, there's always a gray area somewhere. Okay. I mean, for the most part. Sure. Uh, so we just, uh, our goal is to try to help as many people as we can help. Define help as many people. Uh, you don't always, we don't always need to use or want to use the heavy side of the DA's office. Like, mm -hmm. charge them for what you can charge them with, prosecute them, find them as guilty as they can, as many years, it just doesn't work. And people, most people do not deserve that. Mm -hmm. Most of the folks we deal with are down on their luck, sure. marginalized folks. Uh, that's all kind of historical issues yeah. and that are just piled all on them. Uh, drugs, mental health, mm -hmm. that's generally what we deal with. Sure. So if you can find a way to help those folks, find what their problem is so they don't come back again. And if you don't have to mark them up, then don't. There's a lot of folks out there that we have to deal very harshly with, which we do. Yeah. But uh, we try, we try to help as many folks get back on the right path, uh, whether that's through mental health treatment, drug alcohol treatment, domestic violence, whatever it is, to try to help those folks not come back. We get twenty-five thousand cases a year. You know, you can't try every case. Twenty-five thousand cases a year. Yep. That's a lot of cases for. <laughs> you, just, you just threw that number out there like yeah. that's twenty-five. That's a big number. Yeah, I mean, you know, in addition to that, you have three thousand juvenile cases, uh, yeah. six thousand family cases, forty thousand traffic tickets. It's a lot of, it's a lot of cases and people to move. And uh, Clay, oftentimes we feel as if we're flipping hamburgers. Yeah. And that's you can't do that in. Right. You have to really slow down a lot of cases. So our goal is to have less people come in the system. That's why we want to do things like Brave and yeah. the CSU unit yeah. to stop those folks from coming in and to divert as many as you can so you can't breathe and concentrate on the big ones, like murder. Yeah. Um, I have some ADAs that might have eight to ten murders on their plate. Uh, that's a, you know, whatever work, line of work you're in, that's the biggest undertaking you could ever take. It takes years, mm -hmm. and it's a chore to try a murder case. And in addition to that, you have all those other thousands of cases that you're doing. So we would like to really slow down and concentrate more on those more serious cases. You know, you mentioned Brave, and I wanted to talk about it. We can just get into it now. Brave has been around now eight years. Four, fourth. Fourth year. Yeah. Seems like it's been longer than that. Twenty, Yeah, 2012. Yeah. And so Brave has been around just four years, huh? Yes. God, yeah, it seems like year. it's been longer than that. So let's talk about first what Brave is. Sure. Brave is a uh, group violence reduction strategy that's aimed at uh, kids that are in groups or gangs from the age 13 to 21. Mm-hmm. And our, our goal is to stop their involvement in gun-related violence and homicides. And uh, so we've been after it since the end of 2012, and this will be our fourth year. And I think that's been a very successful program. A lot of, lot of work by yeah. a whole lot of people. Uh, wasn't well-received at the beginning like it has Why? in every community. Why? Because uh, it was seen, seen as a hug-a-thug that you just oh, yeah. kind of hug a bunch of thugs and yeah. let them go, which is, isn't the case. No. Uh, Brave does have a... A kind of gentler side, but it also has the enforcement side as well. So, so uh, you know, it's the funding comes from where? It's a federal grant uh, okay. that we have received. Two, actually, two different grants. How much is the grant? Uh, I think the total is three or four million dollars for four years. We still have money left, and we really haven't spent as much as we could have or maybe yeah. should have, uh, which is one of the issues that we've had. What with, are you uh, spending it on? Uh, no, nothing goes to law enforcement. It mm -hmm. all goes to research, maybe okay. LSU, and it goes to services for kids. What does the research hope to accomplish? Well, uh, LSU uh, has the big computer 
capacity. They take every police report, every sheriff's report, and they log it in, and they spit out all of our data, hotspot mapping. Mm -hmm. The amount of data that they put out to us is incredible. So it, how is that data in turn used? We, to then, we then get the data in a dashboard report. Okay. And we filter it all down to the DAs and to the police departments so they can see the different trends of where, who and where, people and places, times, locations, and so that you can maybe devote your manpower to this particular area. There's a lot of predictive kind of policing in there sure. where they may tell you, hey, I see this rising yeah. in this area. Um, there's also social network mapping. They see people operating with other people, mm -hmm. and there's some brokers that you may be able to influence that may influence other different groups. You see group activities on a, on a mapping capability, who's dealing with who, who's right. collaborating with who. Right. Uh, it just helps us work smarter. So now, one of the components in Brave is this the, the call-in. Right. Uh, and I think there we've done seven of them. I think we're working on our tenth. Okay. What, ten. Yeah. Okay. And I think I've done all of them. I think you've been at uh, just about everyone. Yeah. In my knowledge. And because I don't know of any that I've missed, and so this is. Are you comfortable talking about what happens at these? Oh, that's uh, this is where the rubber hits the road. Yes, sir. Okay. Absolutely. So, what happens, and the call-in is there are young men who are in the system because they persisted in being a part of some of these groups in town. And then there are those who are teetering on the brink. And we gather in a courtroom, and it's the DA, the sheriff, the police chief, the uh, United, States United States attorney, and, and one of the representatives from the BRAVE program. And a group of clergy and business leaders, and and we are there. And the first time I was in the room, and I don't think I've ever said this to you, and I certainly don't go in for the mushy, uh, but it was so shocking, the ages of them. I, I knew you were going to see kids who were into some you know, bad, crazy things, you know, into drugs, into, you know, violence and but I didn't expect to see 13 and 14 year olds. And you were clear about that. You're going to start that young, but you just don't, you don't expect to see these right. little kids. And it was so jarring. And that first one, I was kind of numb through most of it. I don't remember much of what anybody said. Cause I kept saying, man, I can't, I can't believe these kids are so young. Right. Their mothers in the room who are crying, almost begging their boys to take advantage of this. And these boys are given options. And I want to tell y'all who don't know about what the, uh, these boys are told. You can leave out of here and go back and do what you're doing. And we're going to catch you. We know your name. We know what group you're a part of. We know where you are. So we're putting you on notice. We know you. If you go out and keep doing what you're doing, we're going to lock you up. Just like, and as we're in the courtroom, there is a big screen in the room that shows the faces and the jail time for some of their buddies who've already you know, gone, taking the ride because they didn't listen. The second option is you could walk out of this room, quit what you're doing, and we'll call it square as long as you no longer cause problems in your communities. We'll let, we'll let bygones be bygones with the hope that you can turn your life around. The third option is you could leave, you can stop, but you can also take advantage of uh, programs that will help you with drug addictions, GED programs to help you get 
you know, out of high school because so many of these boys drop out of school at such an early age and we'll help you with some job assistance. These are the options given to these kids in the room. It's a phenomenal thing to do for these boys. So now with now people having heard what happens at these call ins, what do you think? Well, uh, I think as, as you can tell the listeners, uh, I think you can cut the air in that room. It's very thin. Man. It's very tense. Yeah. Uh, and it is a shame. I think that if you are a black person yeah. and you watching that room, you can see yourself or you can see your kids saying, yep. that could be me, yep. that could be my boy, yep. which is very, very scary. Yep. Uh, the kids that we have at these call-ins are extremely dangerous, oh, yeah, they are. violent kids, either themselves or their group members. Mm-hmm. So we try to... Uh, get 30 or 40 of them to come at a time and they're representatives of the most active groups at the time because that yeah. changes yeah. Uh, from month to month. Yeah. And so we give them the message, the messages, as you said, and it's a, there's truth telling too. We tell them that they have not always been treated fairly by the system, sure. historical sure. reasons, but let's put all that aside. That's right. Right now we're just dealing with killing, killing each other. Right. It's never right to kill someone. Right. And uh, so we tell them, put your guns down, don't kill and take our services. Mm-hmm. Put your guns down. Don't take our services or kill somebody or one of your group members. Kill someone. We're coming after not only the killer, but the entire group. No, Please the entire, take the message. That's back. right. And so and then following that, people like you come and can deliver. Last a very couple times I've been message. on it. <laughs> I was uh, I was pissed the last couple of times. Were, you were on <laughs> Just, your A game. Yeah. Last, uh, <laughs> Jeff LaDuff, Hall Davis. Oh, I hate following you know. Jeff. Those guys can deliver, can yeah. say things I cannot say. Yeah. Yeah. And my message has to be scripted because of who I am oh, and what sure. I do. Sure. And uh, it's not a get out of jail free card. No. Tell these folks you have to deal with your own problem no first. No question. I don't tell them don't smoke dope, don't skip school. I tell them don't kill. Right. Because I have to be able to back that message up. And I can't back up the other messages. I know when someone kills because I see the body on the ground. Right. So it's easy for me to more enforce that. Do you still it, go out to every crime scene I, I try to go to everyone that i that i can some i miss i mean 90 percent of yeah. the homicides in this town you've been to them going all yeah. the way back to jeff leduff being the police chief yep yeah. i try to always why do be, you do that I try to be jeff leduff to the same which was easy to yeah, do yeah that's um a lot of reasons it um it shows the community that mm-hmm. we're there and we care you don't pick and choose which yeah. murder you go to yeah you can't just go to a particular segment yeah community yeah uh tells the police officers that yeah. hey, the da's here i get to see all those guys get yeah. to talk to them and get to talk with them about what's going on. Uh, but more importantly for me and my ADAs, we see the scene ourselves because mm-hmm. you have to eventually tell that to a jury. Yeah. It's so much easier to describe that to a jury when you've been there than looking at a picture. I want to go back to Brave in just a second. Uh, and Well, let's go back and finish that because I do want to come back to the sure. philosophy that you offer your team of you know ADAs and, and what they do because you've got a pretty fantastic group and... Um, the the energy in that place is always so positive. But going back to Brave, okay. there's been criticism of the program. Now, I'm probably not the best person to speak on it because I have helped and assisted and talked to these boys. So I'm clearly someone who supports what the program does. So I'm not unbiased. But there has been criticism of it as being social engineering as being a boondoggle that's not going to help, uh, and all of the things that I'm sure you've been hearing over the past right. four years. What is your response to people who think that this is a waste of time and resources? Well, more of the criticism were at, was at the beginning when people just didn't know, and we expected that because that's what happens in every city that this thing goes to. Uh, you know, money-making, nobody makes any money whatsoever except right. for payment sure. to for services in LSU, no sure. personnel, sure. no overtime, uh, strictly grant money. 
Uh, and when this grant money goes away, we're going to have to find a way to do it ourselves. It's going to be tough. Uh, but When is it going away? Probably within a year, year okay. and a half. So we'll have to figure out a way to do it. But the, So when, you, when the critics come, uh, which have been few, all I do is just point to the numbers. And so our baseline year is 2012. Mm-hmm. And that year, we kind of started brave at the end of the year when, before we received the grant. And in October through December, there were very few murders. But mm-hmm. we started in earnest 2013. So our baseline is 2012. We had 83 or 85 murders that year. The first year of Brave, that number went down to 68 or 65. Wow. The only thing we did different was this kind of uh, deployment that we did. Then the second year, it went down two or three more murders than the first year. Unfortunately, last year, it jumped up slightly, but never passed our Where baseline. It was. Never. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this year, knock on wood, we're having a good year, and so we don't discuss it. Uh, right. Summer is here right now. Yeah. But every year since then, we have been, has always been a better year with a decline of 25%. So, Clay, what we wanted, uh, we wanted maybe five murders less. Sure. We got 20 the wow. first year. So, a 20 or 25. So, when you look at this, and whether it's all brave or not, who knows? You know, you may come back later on and say, well, every city had the same decline, which it didn't. Sure. Because uh, you look at the numbers now, and it's just our numbers are really good. Uh, but when you look at it, 25 people didn't die. Mm-hmm. And then, but look on the other side, 25 probably young black males, people that you see, yeah. didn't go to jail for the rest of their life. Right. So now that's 50 in one year. Right. So now we're in our fourth year, 50 times four. It's a lot of lives saved. And I remember, Clay, at the, um, with Jeff LaDuff and Kip Holden at the, and, and the sheriff on New Year's Eve on 2014, whatever the first year was, thinking that, man, we really may have done something in Baton Rouge that you may have saved 25 lives. lives and then 25 didn't go to jail. Like, damn, that's, that's probably the best feeling I've ever had in my life. You know, I know that, um, that you, you got a tight schedule, so we moved through the last couple of the things here. And you mentioned the, the divisive rhetoric and people who try to divide the city based yeah. upon race and all of these yeah. things. Um, you have been targeted by people in, in spite of everything that you've done in spite of the effort that Brave hopes to uh, you know, employ to save lives. And let's make no mistake about it, every boy in this room is black. Yep. All these young men are black. And this is not a program to target them and embarrass them. Actually, everybody in the room is hoping to inspire them to do something with their lives. I mean, it's, it's, it's a positive effort. Right. But you've been targeted, man. There have been parts of town that hate Hiller Moore. Yeah. And... You know, they call you all kinds of names, and I know you got thick skin because you've been in this game a little while, but what, this is an opportunity for you to yeah. at least address how you take that, you know, how you deflect it, how you deal with it, whatever, however you want to categorize it. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's unfortunate, but that is also somewhat expected, you know, from maybe the parts of town of the folks that are saying that. I feel bad about it because I think that, uh, and I would always do it. I, I always try to reach out and talk to someone sure. if they have a different opinion, just sure. like you maybe did on, on the young girl in the car. Mm-hmm. I would I would like to explain myself to sure. whoever has a sure. different opinion, and they may still keep that opinion. Yeah. I understand, but I think that if if folks sat down and talked to others, they would probably understand and see each other's position better. I agree with you, and and I think that that filters down to what we deal with every day. Uh, we have no conflict resolution skills. In the young kids that we see. No. And so they resolve it by a gun. Yep. Or some other kind of way. And that's the folks that are 
can't see maybe what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Look, these folks that we prosecute and put in jail, I understand that they may not be real happy with me, but I th- they have to understand that we have a job to do. Yeah. So I think uh, it's more of not knowing and not understanding. So that's why I really try to reach out and go wherever I can go. I try to make it a point to do more things in the in the black area, the more depressed areas. Sure, sure. And that's where our concentration is, and that's where my focus is, because that's where our issues are. There are people who live in the inner city who go to work every day, who don't break the law, Absolutely. who pay their taxes and their bills, who just want to be left alone. That's it. That's it. They're, they're in a circumstance where they are where they are, but they're not intending any one harm. And we spend so little time talking about those people. Yeah. And uh, that's, uh, that's a good point. And our crime strategy unit focuses on the stakeholders in the community. Let's right. get out there and identify the good guys because right. it's their community. It's right. not the bad guys. Right. It's only three in a community that are bad guys. The rest of the good folks that are locked in their house, can't sit on their porch, don't want their kids to walk down the street. We ha- they have to take their own community back. And, you know, for all those folks that may say uh, bad things or not uh, like what I do, Particularly in this black community, when you go out, people come on the side and take, shake your hand and say, man, I appreciate what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's the best feeling you can have. People that I don't know, don't recognize in a store, at an event, thanks they for what you're doing. Effort. You make a difference. Uh, I really appreciate that. That's, you don't have to pay me any money. I'm, right, I'm good. Right. It's, it's so amazing because I think that we, as you say, you're, People see what you're trying to accomplish. What is your opinion, though, of people in these inner city communities who historically have not spoken to the cops? They've not been willing to come forward to say they've seen a crime yeah. because they're a worried about retaliation by other members of these groups or B, they're worried about this guy or these guys getting out, kicking in their front door and shooting and killing them in some retaliatory way. Yeah. I understand their concerns and their concerns are oftentimes justified yeah uh, why lot, why well, why are their concerns justified i mean i yeah. i know what you're saying that yes these guys do get out but why why we, is that happening we do have folks that shoot up houses of people that cooperate yep. and talk i mean it happens yep. but i think um i think the point that you're getting to whether you know or not is what's called um legitimacy mm-hmm. and uh, procedural justice procedural legitimacy mm-hmm. so if the police don't believe the community is legitimate they don't trust the community. If the community doesn't trust the police, they don't think they're treating them fairly That's or they're right. legitimate, they don't trust the police. Mm-hmm. So why does, a, why does a killer, just a stone-cold killer, why does he stop at a stop sign? Huh. Because if he doesn't, what happens? He'll get pulled over? No. He's going to get run over. <laughs> He's going to get killed by the other car coming. There's a red light. A killer who's bad as it can right, be. Right, right. i got to stop at this red light because justice is going to be swift, immediate, and it's fair. Right. Hey, shouldn't have run the red light. So do we have that same relationship with the community and the police? No. The community doesn't always believe the police are fair because they have seen historical things. Sure. So we need to get back to legitimacy and fairness. And the, both the two different communities have to trust each other, understand that, hey, I'm going to be treated fairly, which has not always happened in the country. How do you do that? That's It's it's training. It's more getting uh, the ability of officers to get out the car to stop and talk to folks and the folks to be willing to talk to the cops. It's mm-hmm. both ways. Sure. It's not one way. So during the summer right now, we have lunch with the cops. Every Wednesday, we pick a community and we try to get do a little more healing in sure. the community with sure. the kids sure. and the folks. They have to see them in a different light, like the people that criticize me have to yeah. see me differently. Right. And so there they get to see the police when they're not patrolling, they're not arresting anyone. Right. That's what has to happen. 
It's the same for a DA's office. So not just the cops. Mm -hmm. People that come in my office have to know that we're legitimate. Are you treating me fairly or not? Uh, and same thing with the judge. It's called judicial uh, legitimacy. Yeah. So the country's going through that right now. Yeah. It's a new uh, deal. We're going to try to maybe do a little program at our office about uh, district attorneys, uh, maybe bias that we have that we don't know. Everyone has biases. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're going to implicit bias that we just don't know about. So we're going to try to do some training here, maybe toward the end of the year. But it's going on all around the country, and that's really the only way you're going to bind the police and the community back together again is people understanding and knowing each other. So I mentioned earlier about you and your team of ADAs and, and your philosophy about prosecuting people, dealing with the public. What's your managerial style when, you talk, when you're talking to your team, and what, what's the one thing you want them to remember as they go out and do their work? Uh, just to be fair and to treat people the way that they would want their own family member to be treated. Uh, that's it. If someone earns, earns a chance, try to give them a chance. It may come back on us, but let's be cautious, cautious in what you do. Uh, I have uh, 160 dedicated employees, around 60 assistant DAs. Can't pay these guys enough. They work hard. Right. We ask them to do things at nighttime, on the weekends. They have their own families and kids, but they come out and they do things. I have an outstanding staff, so they really don't need a whole lot of encouragement. <laughs> stay out of the you way. Know, stay out of the way. Yeah. Let these guys do what they do best. Uh, but just being fair is, is the main thing. What's one thing about Hill or Moore that people wouldn't would be surprised to learn? I have a pretty good vegetable garden. Uh, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I took up all the flower beds because I wasn't really good at it. And I uh, decided that uh, I wanted to plant some things, so I started doing that. Uh, <laughs> What'd you plant? What's in your vegetable garden? And right now I have some of the best eggplant. Really uh, now that you can really shake a stick at. Really, my wife is an extremely talented uh, cook. Okay, um, she generally cooks things that are uh, I don't like, but uh, they're very very good. <laughs> uh, so I'm trying to I'm trying to grow some things that I like. Uh, you know, lettuce all the time, peppers, yeah. Uh, yeah. eggplant, peppers squash, too, zucchini, huh? yeah, tomatoes. Well, now you know where the office is. Sure. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just saying. All right. Well, so vegetable guys, uh, you have a vegetable uh, garden. I what like else? to work out. I like to yes. work out with my, yes. my kids. Yeah. Uh, two boys. Yeah. And a uh, daughter. Daughter's a lawyer. She doesn't like to work out quite as much. She likes to shop. <laughs> uh, but it's it's always fun doing things. Uh, does she practice law here? She does. Okay. Not far from okay. here. Now your boys. One of your boys. I know he played baseball under Roger, didn't he? He did for at, uh, a year, year and a half at uh, Southern. What's he doing now? He's uh, at LSU now, earning a degree toward a somewhat of a criminal justice degree. Mm -hmm. I have a younger Going son. Going into the family yep. business? I have a younger son, John Michael, is uh, at BRCC and then is also working in uh, uh, kind of the um, plant field, so mm -hmm. to speak. And yeah. So uh, really likes what he's doing. And daughter does a lot in civil law. Uh, she is a very bright young lady. Uh, all I'm doing well. <laughs> what do you want your legacy to be? I just think that uh, that he cared about people and uh, didn't just cater to one segment of the uh, community. And really trying to, I like to be somewhat remembered like my dad was, mm -hmm. that he treated everyone fairly. Yeah. And that he helped those that were less fortunate. You're That's the main thing. You're well on your way yep. uh, towards that. Uh, just and, and I guess the final question is about where Baton Rouge is, where it was. I think that. I love the city, and I think we've yeah. got such great potential. We are not anywhere. We're not where we want to be, right. but we are further along than where we were. 
No question. And I think that's good in large part to people like yourself. But when you look at Baton Rouge, what do you think is our biggest positive? And it's probably going to be in the vein of race or people relations in terms of repairing. But what what is the biggest thing that we all have to work on? Well, um, we've been fortunate in that the people that you have in place in elected offices, let's take the mayor, DA, chief, sheriff, state police, colonel, other elected officials, everyone everyone gets along. We may disagree right. on things, sure. which does not happen in any other place around. I've been around. Right. And there are so people say, man, you're so fortunate that you, you even talk to your chief of police. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, that is that's something that really has been unique here. I think Kip has done a lot for for our city. I think the next mayor sure. will be a, a a big deal. So mm-hmm. I think people have to look and our city council is very, very important in where we go, what we're that's doing. Right. Business development is huge here. Mm-hmm. And all of it though, uh we're not going to survive unless we able to get along. And if we don't take care of our kids with education yes. and crime. Yes. And because that business drives, gets driven out of here or could be driven here. Mm-hmm. And that's why we want to keep these numbers down on the homicide and do better. But it's, it's all about kids and families and communities. And if we don't repair our families and our kids and educate them, we're going to get the end result that we don't want. So we really need to focus on kids and education. Listen, I, I support the job you've done and the job you're doing. Uh, I know you're a good man. I know you care about people. I've, I've seen it up close and personal. And like I said, the sheer knowledge of you as a person is what made me take a step back when I saw that story. Because I don't always trust what's reported in the news with no right. real disrespect, but sure. I don't always do it. And I didn't even think to call you then to ask directly because I know when this stuff's going on, your phone's ringing everybody off the hook. And, yeah, and I don't want to just I'd be piling on with everybody else because I know what you're doing is serious and you don't have a whole lot of time to have right. to explain yourself over and over and over again. The explanation I got was enough for me to go because I know you. There's no way you would have let this stand or you, or you wouldn't have gone after him if this was a case of supreme negligence. Right. It's And so I just... That was good enough for me. Good. I still feel very bad for the child and, and bad for the parent because this man will never, ever recover from that. Nope. And so, well, listen, I'd like you to come back at the end of the year to talk yeah, about absolutely. how 2016 went. And uh, I've good. enjoyed this, man. I, me too. Knock, knock on wood. Knock on my forehead here. All right. District Attorney Hiller Moore. Thanks, Hiller. Thanks, Clay. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the Podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. You can see why so many of us really like that guy. He's very genuine, and I can tell you sitting here having these conversations with him and all of the things that we talked about in the show, and specifically when he was talking about the case of that little girl, you know, he's, he's, he was welling up a little bit because you don't want to see that, and these are heavyweight decisions that he has to make. And he's been under a tremendous amount of pressure from people, and I just don't know 
anyone in government who cares more about people than that man. And Baton Rouge is very, very lucky to have him as its district attorney. And we look forward to getting him back sometime this fall to kind of talk about how the year has been going so far. Now, I referenced in the open of the show about something that happened that happened that I witnessed this morning. And it was a reflection of society that we don't often see. There is so much dialogue in the public now and specifically on social media about race relations in America. It's it's a subject that's really just talked about ad nauseum. And sometimes you tune out because some of the people speaking, I think, are more interested in stirring it up than creating a solution. And that isn't everyone, but there are lots of people who do it and it is what it is. But this morning, I had to get one of those things that we Louisianans know as, a, as an inspection sticker. Cereal, ceremonial nuisance there, but you better have that thing. And the place that I'm getting the inspection sticker from has my vehicle. And so I go into the waiting area to sit down. And there are four other people there. And I sit across from this couple. And... I can see that there's an elderly gentleman who's sitting with his eyes closed and his wife is talking to him. I assumed at the time that it was his wife and it turned out to be the case. She's talking with him and he's not really responding. And so the, another lady who is a little off to the distance, but sitting in the same area is astutely watching this and, you know, paying attention. She's very focused in and it's, I quickly realize Okay, something's wrong. So she's trying to get him to take a pill. And he just didn't seem to want to take the pill. He was really not that responsive. Apparently, this this scene had been going on and playing out before I even walked into the place. And she got it into his mouth. And the other lady walks over and she's talking with her and she's telling her, you know, I've gone through something similar With my mother, I was her primary caregiver. And so they give him the pill. She is, the wife is, uh, taking water from the water bottle and rubbing his forehead and the back of his neck and really trying to move his face to get his attention, to to just make him respond and say something. And now clearly, I'm locked in. The other lady's locked in. uh, The other guy's watching because we don't know what's going on. Well, she had given him a nitroglycerin tablet. Uh, she was worried that he had had a heart attack. And she said he's had two heart attacks. This guy looked like he was about 70, maybe mid 70s. He was 81. He is 81. And the other lady's got so much concern on her face and she is almost in tears because she's so worried about this guy. She's touching him and they're talking to him. And I am not a medical person. I can lift something (laughs) and I can go get someone but I'm not a medical person, but I'll help in any way that I can. So they get water and they're trying to help this guy. And so the other lady watching calls 911 and tells them where we are to send over the paramedics. She was very concerned. He started to come around a little bit after a while. He was still glassy eyed, but he was, he seemed to be, almost responsive wasn't talking but he was making eye contact with us and that was something so the paramedics get there 
and they're talking with him. And at that point, they're done with me. I'm waiting a little while. And then they're starting their stuff. And then I, I go on and I leave. The couple was black. The lady helping them and who was so concerned was white. And I've seen things like this before where where people spring into action and help one another. But I think it's often overlooked that in this world of political, religious, social differences, there are still people who just want to help someone who looks like they need help and it doesn't really matter what they look like. And that was good to see. And I would, I would encourage everyone to just remember that, that it is wrong to paint any one person with a broad brush. And that goes for both sides of the racial line. I don't really think prejudging is valuable. I think someone can be an a-hole and come in all shades of color. But there are good people who can, too, come in all shades of color. And I witnessed it this morning. It was really good to see. And I think everybody in that room was hoping the same thing, that this gentleman was okay. And I hope he is okay. As I was leaving, they were exchanging contact information. And it was just really good to see. And I just wanted to share that with you. Now, having said all of that... (laughs) On the 4th of July, we will run our part two of a conversation with Marine Colonel, retired Marine Colonel David Cuvion. Good conversation. He cuts it up good. And we basically, as the saying goes, solve all the world's problems. It's basically just a BS session on a front porch someplace, having a conversation between two strong-willed, strong-personalitied guys. And it was fun. And you'll hear it on the 4th. And on next Wednesday evening, Thursday morning's program, Matt Williams, anchor of the WAFB morning news program, will be here in the podcast 225 studio. In fact, we've already recorded that conversation and you'll hear it a week from today or from where and whenever you're listening to this. Hey, listen, guys, if you're hearing this before the fourth, God bless you all. Be safe out there. God bless America. If you're hearing it after the fourth, hopefully you didn't overdo it. I'll try to take my own advice and I'll catch you next time here on the Clay Young Show on the Talk 107.3 mobile app where it's free on iTunes where it's free or at podcast225.com. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Clay Young Show.